the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor of the Congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at www.stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 5, and is the service for March 5th, 2023, the second Sunday in Lent. Scripture lessons are from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, and John 3, verses 1 through 17. The sermon is entitled, Setting Out. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson for tonight, our scripture lessons, come from the gospel, or sorry, the book of Genesis and the gospel of John. The first lesson is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
So there are some fantastic things about the way the scriptures are written. Oftentimes in our reviewing of the English text, we can lose some of the sense of the poetry that is taking place in them. And this is really evident in both passages. And in the Genesis passage, we see it with the with a function of what is called parallelism in Hebrew. That is, there is a, a poetic structure of repetition and often intensification. And we see this in also the, the way that this covenant, and this is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. This is God calling Abram out of his land, Ur of the Chaldees, in modern-day Iraq, and saying, come, leave your country, your kindred, your father's house, to a land I will show you. There I will make of you a great nation, and through you all the peoples of the world will be blessed. And so it's interesting in that there are three things that Abraham is asked to do, leave his country, his kindred, and his father's house, and in return, he will receive things, right? He will be given a land, he will be given descendants, and he will be given, he will become a blessing, right? The land God will show him, there he will be made a great nation, which means he will have descendants after him. And through those descendants, the whole world will be blessed. And so there's a beautiful kind of parallel structure between the three things he's asked to to give up and the three things that he will be given in response. But what's interesting is that the three things that he will be given are related, but they're not similar things, right? He'll be given land, he'll be given descendants, which is nice. They have the land to put the descendants on. Um, he did not, right? He could have the descendants without having a lot of land or could have land with a lot of descendants and that he would be a blessing to the nations, which again, does not logically or necessarily follow from the other two. But the things that Abram is asked to give up are connected to each other and they follow a Hebrew poetic pattern of intensification. But God says, leave your country. Now, some of us might have entertained this at some point or other. Maybe I'll live abroad or find somewhere else to live. That could be that could be nice. But then there's an intensification. Your kindred, that is, those that you are part of your family, your extended family group, your community. So it's not just your country that you're leaving. You're going to be leaving your community. And then there's a final intensification, your father's house, your family. So there is this intensification asking Abram to leave everything that he knows. And lest he react too quickly and say, yeah, that sounds good. God's like, you know what that means? That means everybody, everyone you know. You know what that means? It means your family. Ultimately, Abram is being asked to set out leaving everything he knows behind, his country, his kindred, his father's house. He's called to leave everything that he is familiar with, and he does it, right? The very next verse is, and Abram went, right? It's one of those, uh, one of those reasons why um, 
Abraham is lifted up in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam as the model of faithfulness, right? Unlike other prophets, I mean, he'll do this later, but in this instance, there's no talk back. There's no, well, what if I leave just my, you know, just this part of the country and I come back for business every once in a while? There's no bargaining, right? There's none of the conversations that Moses has with him. Um, there's not even the conversations that he has later with God when he bargains God down from 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah to 10 righteous people, right? So there's none of that. There's just simply, and Abram went. He goes. He's willing to give up everything he knows. Now, Abram at this point is over 70 years old, Right, so by that point, we're usually kind of set in our ways. It's not as easy for us to break out of familiar patterns, certainly not upending ourselves by leaving the only country and kinship group and family we've ever known to go, you know, I, somewhere, it's over there. I guess there's a bunch of Canaanites who live there. <laughs> you know, who, doesn't he actually know where he's going? God says to a land, I will show you. Doesn't even tell him where it is or when he's going to stop. Just go, I'll tell you when you get there. That's what Abram does. And so part of his faithfulness is not just the, the faithful response to do whatever God says, but to accept the implications of that to leave behind everything he's familiar with. Now, something of that is also happening in the Nicodemus story. The Nicodemus story fits a kind of pattern in John's gospel um, on a number of different levels. One that uses all kinds of language that means two things simultaneously. It uses irony, it uses wordplay, all kinds of that, very familiar to, to John's gospel. But one of the other themes of John's gospel is what its purpose seems to be. See, John's gospel seems to be written more than the other gospels are, not so much as, um, as a chronicle or a record of what Jesus did and said, but as an argument for why you should become a Christian or why you should accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so its audience is likely written to the Nicodemuses of the world. That is, those people who kind of think something's going on with this Jesus, right? He says, you must be from God. No one could do the things that you're doing without God's presence there. And yet, he comes by night, right? He doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus because it's maybe not good for his reputation, so Nicodemus is the kind of on-the-fence believer that the Gospel of John seems targeted at, that it's trying to kind of nudge those people off the fence to fully commit, to fully say, okay, I'll join this Christian movement. I will accept that Jesus is the Messiah, and probably aimed at Jewish believers within the broader Jewish Christian community. And so Nicodemus represents that kind of fence-sitting Christian. Now, he's not being asked in this story to leave behind his country and his kindred and his father's house, but he is being asked to leave behind something important, and that is 
everything he thinks he knows about religion. See, <clears throat> Jesus says, and this is where some of our English translations get a little bit um, in the way, because Jesus says to him that you must be born from above. Now, in Greek, which I will admit it's unlikely that the two of them are actually having this conversation in Greek, but so in as much as it's recorded in Greek, we'll go with it, right? In Greek, the phrase from above also means again, right? So Jesus says you must be born from above, and what Nicodemus hears is you must be born again, right? It's kind of like the closest thing I think we have to this would be of the musical term when we say take it from the top, right? Jesus says you have to be born from the top, and Nicodemus is like, how exactly is one born again? Can one re-enter one's mother's womb and be born again? Because he's thinking too literally, and he's and he's seized upon the again part of the meaning without the above part. And Jesus tries to, you know, nudge him in that direction and says, you have to be born by water and the spirit, right? The waters of birth, you're born with those, but now you have to be born with the spirit. So what Jesus is talking about is a kind of spiritual rebirth that is beyond the physical birth into a kind of birth in the spirit, right? That, that there is a need to let go of the things that you are familiar with and to be born new in a new way, in a new spiritual understanding. This is a lot harder than it looks. It's no wonder that Nicodemus is kind of perplexed by all of this because many of us have a hard time with the religion that we were brought up in thinking of it as anything other than comfortable and familiar, right? I mean, it's, you know, we started going when we were, you know, this high, and they baptized us when we were six months old. And, you know, and ever since we went to the nursery school and the kindergarten and the Sunday school, and we went up through junior choir and senior choir and all of that and a youth group. And, and it's been a familiar, comforting, it's been our home and our country and our kindred and our father's house. It's been all of those things. So to think that what this place actually is, is Jesus saying to us, no, 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 you gotta let all of that go. You, everything you think you know about faith, let that go. Let go of your preconceptions, let go of your assumption that the status quo is what this is. This is asking you, like Abram, to leave all of that behind. It's hard for us to do. We, we can get really set on the fact that the tradition we know is safe and familiar. There's two things about this that strike me. Uh, one is a story from the, um, the novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the first Chronicle of Narnia, when they meet, the children meet Aslan, the lion, which, by the way, I've learned that Aslan is like Persian for lion. So, you know, it's he's kind of got a pretty self-evident name. But um, when they first meet him, they, they add, he's in, in Aslan, I'm not going to spoil anything in this. He's the kind of the Jesus figure in this story. At one point, 
um, Lucy, the youngest one, asks if Aslan is safe. And she's told, no, he I mean, he's a lion. He's not safe. And she said, well, I thought you said he was good. She said, oh, he's good, but he's not safe. And I think there's something about our religion that we have a hard time seeing it as anything other than safe and comfortable. And we can lose sight of the message that has been being preached at us our whole lives long. Another thing that this reminds me of, um, some years ago, uh, one of the leaders of the, I don't know if you'd call them hip hop, rock, punk band, Rage Against the Machine, tweeted out something. And his followers, some of his followers, they got upset with him for being political. And they said, you know, I liked it when you guys weren't political. And he responded and said, tell me which of my songs is not political and I'll remove it from the catalog. Because if you're paying attention to everything this group had ever said in any of its lyrics, you realize they had been political all along. But some people just like the music and they like dancing to it and they get comfortable with it thinking, this is my favorite music and became upset when they realized that that music was challenging them and that music was telling them, look at the world again, think anew about the world you're in. And that's what Nicodemus is having a hard time with because He's a Pharisee. He is steeped in the tradition of the interpretation of the law, of understanding how we live out our lives as faithful Jews. And what Jesus is saying is, yeah, there's another level. <laughs> that's, you know, that's all well and good. But transcend. Be born again from the Spirit. Rethink everything you think you know and set out. These are tough. These calls are not easy. It's hard enough to just leave the physical reality of your country, your kindred, and your father's house without having to leave the spiritual reality of comfortable old-time religion that makes us feel safe and affirmed and that doesn't challenge us to look at the world in new and dynamic ways that calls us to follow in discipleship in ways that are challenging, maybe not safe. It's hard. But there's a coda to this story that often gets overlooked. The coda is that in John's gospel, we, as with the other gospels, Joseph of Arimathea comes and claims the body of Jesus after Jesus has died on the cross. But in John's gospel, Nicodemus is there with him. It suggests that Nicodemus did understand in the end that he was able to let go of those preconceptions. He was able to allow himself to be reborn of the spirit and engage upon a life of discipleship. Perhaps it's a sign of hope for us, too, that we'll be able to leave those things of comfort behind and set out on that path of discipleship and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us again soon.